Today we are continuing in our sermon series on Jesus' famous Sermon on the Mount. And so if you have your Bibles, I invite you to open up Matthew chapter 5 is where we're going to be. If you have a Bible app on your phone, you can, you can uh, tune in there. We won't, we won't judge you for having your phone out and worship Matthew chapter 5. And we're, we're picking up where we've, we kind of left off. We, we looked at the first week what Jesus calls the blessed life what a blessed life looks like in his kingdom. And then, uh, a couple weeks ago, we talked about how Jesus says to his followers, you are the salt of the earth and the light of the world. And we gave out little salt jars, and if you didn't get one, uh, we still have some extras at the exit. We invite you to grab one of those on the way out. And this morning, we're, we're continuing in the sermon right after Jesus says, you are the salt of the earth, you are the light of the world. And here's what he says. Verse 17, he says, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Therefore, anyone who sets aside one of the least of these commands and teaches others accordingly will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. And then Jesus says this, verse 20, For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. Now growing up in my church tradition, we used to have a thing we did after the scripture reading. The pastor would say the word of God for the people of God and people respond, thanks be to God. So I wanna do that this morning. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. Amen. I'm gonna move this fan real quick. So I don't know if you ever thought about this, but have you ever thought about how, how not everyone liked Jesus? I mean, if you, if you grew up in church, vacation, Bible school, that kind of stuff. You might, might think that everybody liked Jesus because you know that Jesus liked everybody. Jesus loved everybody. He, he was the son of God sent into the world to save us from our sins. And so sometimes it's easy to forget that, you know, there are people who, who hated Jesus. There were people who didn't like him. There were people who made up stuff about him, who made up rumors and lies and who said all sorts of negative things about him. And sometimes I'm, I'm tempted to forget that people didn't like Jesus, but the scripture passage we just read reminds me that there were people who didn't like him. There were people who didn't like him. It reminds me of that because here at, at the beginning of the sermon, we're still kind of in the introduction section, Jesus almost takes this moment of personal privilege and, and addresses some of these rumors and some of these negative things that people have been saying about him. You see, people were going around as, as Jesus is teaching and the crowds are beginning to follow him and learn from him. They're enthralled by him. People began to say to one another and they began to whisper to, to each other things like this. They say, you know what, Jesus, be careful. He doesn't care about God's law. He doesn't care about the law and the prophets. He doesn't care about the scriptures that God has, has given to us. They, they say, hey, Watch out. Don't, don't listen to everything this guy says because if you, if you listen closely, if you watch him, you'll, you'll, you'll see that he actually wants to abolish the law. He, he's telling people we don't have to obey this stuff. 
he, he, he's coming, he's doing something, he's doing something different. Like you need to be, be on alert for this radical new teacher. I mean, people were spreading all sorts of rumors about him as he traveled from place to place. And this is understandable because, I mean, Jesus was growing in popularity. And when Jesus taught, he taught as one with authority. And so he was different than the other teachers of the law. And, and, and people were feeling jealous. They were feeling threatened. Their, their religious power at times was up for grabs. And so people are making up all this stuff about him. And here Jesus says, not so fast. He says, not so fast. I know you've heard many different things, but, but I tell you, I haven't come to abolish the law and the prophets. I haven't come to abolish the law and the prophets. I love the law and the prophets. I love the scriptures. I haven't come to abolish these things. Instead, he says, I have come, I don't know if you called it, to fulfill these things. I have come to fulfill the law. And when Jesus says this, this word fulfill the law, he, he kind of means two things at once. One is that he has come to fulfill. He has come to live out perfectly God's law for people. But then he also means the second thing. He means that he has also come to explain and establish the law in all of its fullness. He has come to reveal the heart of God behind every command, behind every story, behind every page of scripture. He came to show us God's heart. And he says, look, I haven't come to abolish this stuff or, or say this stuff's no good or you can throw it away or that's the old and this is something new. No, no, he, he says, I think all this is really important because in verse 20, he says this, he says, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. And with those words, I bet the people who did like Jesus, who were following him, who were listening to him, as they're all, remember he's speaking to the disciples, but there's a lot of people around listening. I mean, I bet people began to be uncomfortable with that. Because these people knew Pharisees. They knew that the Pharisees were the holiest people they had ever seen. They knew that their righteousness was supreme. And so when they thought about having a righteousness greater than the Pharisees, I mean, they're, they're thinking, I, I don't know about this. And my guess is, they probably began to cross their arms a little bit and, and kind of check out during the rest of the sermon. Have you ever had that happen? Where the preacher says something and you, it's confusing or you don't like it or it touches too close to home and then you start like thinking about lunch and you just say like, I'm, I'm done for today. Think about lunch or the hawks or the weather, or what you're gonna do 4th of July. You know, I, th I think people were kind of like, yeah, I don't know anymore, Jesus. Okay, this is, this is getting to be a bit much if my righteousness has to exceed the Pharisees. Uh, I'm going to tune it out and just get some fish and bread when it's passed around. So I think they probably were tuning out a little bit, maybe a little uncomfortable. But then I think they, they leaned in and Jesus got their attention a little bit more when he kept going in the sermon. Because after this, in Matthew, Matthew chapter 5, Jesus keeps going. And right after this discussion on righteousness, he gives six examples of what the righteousness that he desires for people looks like. He gives six practical examples of the life he is calling his followers to. And I think he got their attention because these are some challenging teachings. These are some of the most challenging teachings in all of the Sermon on the Mount. And I wanna encourage you this week to read through this section on your own. We're not gonna read it all today. Instead, I'm gonna summarize 
these six teachings for you with some summary statements my friend Matt Tuggle came up with. But I want to encourage you to study it on your own because here Jesus is laying out the righteous life and it's a challenging life. And he says this. He says, look, you've heard, don't murder. And the Pharisees don't murder. Jesus is saying, look, you, you've probably never murdered and so you, you think you're righteous. But I want to raise the bar a little bit. Jesus said, not only should you not murder, I don't want you to even harbor anger in your hearts. When Jesus says this, he's not just saying like you can never feel angry. He's saying, look, when you feel anger towards someone, don't, don't feed it, don't let it grow, don't let it fester. He's saying, yeah, don't murder, but also let's raise it up. Don't harbor anger. And that, that's a tough teaching, isn't it? And then he keeps going. He says, you've heard, don't commit adultery. And the Pharisees, you know what? Generally, they're not committing adultery. But he says, I say to you, don't even lust. Don't even lust in your heart. And Jesus said this because he was calling his followers to be pure in heart. And he knew that lust left unchecked often led to adultery and other things, that what we do in private doesn't typically stay private. It has an impact on the other people around us. So he raises the bar here. These are tough teachings. Then he, he goes into another teaching on divorce. Here, Matthew chapter 5, Matthew chapter 19, he says, look, you know, I know Moses uh, allowed divorce with a certificate of divorce for, for different reasons. And, and he says, look, the reason Moses allowed this is because of the hardness of your hearts. And in their culture, it was men divorcing women. It wasn't really the other way around. But, but Jesus knew that, that in the wake of divorce, it was often women and the children who suffered the most. And he says, look, you know, Moses and the law, it says, look, don't divorce cruelly. That was kind of the standard. But by the time Jesus came along, people were divorcing one another for all sorts of reasons. They're like, my wife can't cook. You know what? We just don't like each other anymore. All sorts of stuff. And so Jesus says, look, you've heard it said, don't divorce cruelly. I say, don't divorce unjustly. And he reveals to us God's desire is lifelong marriage. In, in scripture, we see the just grounds for divorce or adultery, abuse, abandonment. Jesus raises the bar. And then he continues, he says, look, you've heard don't lie to others, you know. Don't make vows you can't keep. Don't, don't break oaths you give. Don't just not lie to others. Why don't you live honestly. Tell the truth in your heart and let that go out to other people. And then he continues with another tough one. He says, you've heard, don't over-retaliate, you know. You've heard an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, not two eyes for one eye or two teeth for one teeth. You've heard, don't over-retaliate. I say to you, live generously to those who persecute you and to those who don't like you. Turn the other cheek. Go the extra mile. These are tough teachings. And then he wraps up this section with a final one. He says, look, you've heard, love your neighbors, hate your enemies. I say, don't just love your neighbors. He says, love your enemies. He says, love those who love you and love those who hate you. Pray in your heart for those who hate you.
And if you look at this, you can see, you know, Jesus, he fulfilled the law. And a lot of times when we're reading scripture, you know, we kind of want to rush past all these things and, and these teachings. But I mean, this morning when we're going through the Sermon on the Mount, I think we have to sit with, with how challenging these teachings are, how countercultural they are. I mean, we've talked the last couple of weeks in this sermon about how Jesus calls his followers to be what? Different. And here he's painting a picture of a life that is very different than the lives in the world around us. And he says, this is the kind of righteousness that I require. So I think it's important to, to feel the weight of these teachings, to wrestle with them. But then I think it's also important to kind of zoom out here, to zoom out to the bigger picture, to, to kind of see what Jesus is teaching us in this, this large section in the Sermon on the Mount. And when we zoom out, we can begin to see what Jesus is trying to say when he says, your righteousness must exceed the righteousness of the Pharisees if you want to enter into the kingdom of God. And if you know anything about the Pharisees, here's something to know, that the Pharisees, I mean, when everyone looked at them, everyone said, you know what, they're holy. They're righteousness because outwardly, they were generally living righteous lives. They were doing what was right in God's eyes. And look, outward righteousness, that's a good thing. They were doing what was right. They were, they were not committing adultery. They were not murdering people. They were living out a lot of these commands in the law. But what Jesus is trying to say here is that your righteousness needs to be greater than that. It needs to be greater in kind and greater in degree. What Jesus is saying here is he's saying your righteousness needs to be greater than merely outward actions. It needs to be righteousness in your heart as well. I'm calling you to be righteous in your heart. To not just not murder, but to not have hate in your heart. To not just not commit adultery, but to not harbor lust in your heart. To not just hate those who hate you, but to have love for all people in your heart. Jesus is pointing us that he has a greater righteousness in mind for his disciples, a righteousness of the heart. And so what Jesus, I think, is saying here to us is he's saying that he is more concerned about what's on the inside than what's on the outside. Because Jesus knows that what's on the inside is going to come out. Let me say that again. Jesus is more concerned about what's on the inside than on the outside because he knows that what's on the inside will eventually come out. And so he calls his disciples to have a greater righteousness. And now to illustrate that, I'll, I'll use this, this little rubber duck here. Emily's laughing because this is from our house. She didn't know I was going to use this. Y'all, y'all know about these things. I mean, who, had, who has one of these in their house now or had one growing up? I mean, right, this is classic. This is timeless. These little ducks, whoever invented them is making a lot of money, but they float on the water. Now you can get them digital with thermometers and all sorts of contraptions, like smart ducks. But you know, a lot of you had the basic duck. And it floats on the water. The kids love it. A lot of them, you can, you know, squeeze it, suck up water into it, and then squirt water out. And it's a lot of fun. My, my son Patrick, we use them and other bath toys because sometimes he doesn't like it and it, it, he has a lot of fun with it. And Now, when you, when you think about these ducks, they're in the bath every night, right? They're in the bath every night. 
they're, they're cleaned with soap and with water, and then they're rinsed. And so generally, when you look at these things, you would say, outwardly, this duck is clean, right? But have you ever cut inside one of these? Outwardly, it's clean. But inwardly, when you, when you cut into it, usually it's a different story. Now, hold your gag reflex. A lot of times, that's what's inside of these. Looks clean. You might think it's clean. You might be happy for your kid to play with it. But inside, there's bacteria. There's mold. It, it is dingy and it is nasty. And I'm going to take this off because I think you got the point, right? Um, and the researchers have been doing research now and like testing what's inside of these. And if you go on Google, you can, you can see, I mean, kids get eye infections. They get rashes on their skin because they're messing with these ducks. And what happens is the water comes on the inside. It mixes with the bacteria. And then when that water that's been inside this dirty environment comes out, it's making other people sick. So there, there's really two options, right? When, when you have a, a duck like this and you realize that it's dirty inside. The option that our household takes is to just throw them away. It's, it's like, you know, I don't, when you can start seeing the stuff, it's like, let's get rid of this. This is nasty. That, that's one option. But then the other option is to clean it on the inside. To, to get some bleach and mix it with water, get some vinegar and mix it with water, suck it up in there, shake it, and it will, it will cleanse what's on the inside. And then when you suck up water into it in the future, what's on the inside comes out clean. This is what Jesus is talking about here. He's talking about how he desires for us to not just be clean on the outside, but to be clean on the inside as well. He calls us to have a righteousness in our hearts so that what is overflowing from our hearts is truth, is honesty, is love, is generosity. He's saying, look, you need to be clean in your hearts in the deepest places and then you can enter into the kingdom of God. And, and what I wanna tell you this morning is that the good news of the gospel is that God through his son and his spirit has the power to clean us from the inside out. We can't do it on our own. You can try. You can try to do all sorts of stuff, but we cannot clean ourselves. The good news is that God doesn't, he doesn't throw us away. He doesn't say, hey, you know what? You're dirty. You haven't lived up to all this. No, he says, I want to cleanse you from the inside out. I want you to be holy as I am holy. I want you to be a part of my kingdom and my family forever. You see, the grace of God means that when we don't live up to his law and to the vision of life that Jesus is laying out for his disciples here, the good news of God's grace is that there is forgiveness. There is forgiveness for our sins. And no matter how many times we sin, he is there offering us his forgiveness once again. But, but that's only part of the good news. 
Jesus forgives us, but he also wants to give us freedom over our sin. He forgives us, but he also wants to cleanse us from all unrighteousness inside of our hearts. He wants to clean us from the inside out. You see, when we come to faith in Christ, two things happen really at once. The first is that when we trust in Christ, we are united with him and his righteousness is credited to us. And God sees us as righteous and welcomes us into his family. But at the same time, when we trust in Christ for salvation, his Holy Spirit comes in us, fills us, and begins to cleanse us from the inside out. Not only forgiving us from the penalty of our sin, but giving us freedom over the power of our sin as we are continually transformed into the likeness of Christ. And so it's easy when we come to the Sermon on the Mount, and, and, and a lot of preachers will preach it this way. You know what? This is hopeless. We can never do these things. This is just meant to make us see how miserable we are in our sin. But I, I think a lot of times, really, that's what the enemy wants us to think. That when Jesus tells us what to do, that we could never do it, that we could never live up to it because we're so sinful. But here's the thing. When Jesus commands us to do something, he gives us the grace to do something. Every command that Jesus gives us through the power of his Holy Spirit, he gives us the ability to do it as well. He wants us to experience forgiveness and freedom. 1 John 1, 9 says, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just. He will forgive us and he will cleanse us of all unrighteousness. And so what Jesus is doing here in this section on the Sermon on the Mount, really, he's offering us an invitation. He's offering us an invitation to a new way of life a way of life that is true, that is good, that is beautiful. He's saying, I'm offering you life, the life I intended for you. And it starts in here. It starts in our hearts and opening up ourselves and allowing God's power and presence to come inside of us and cleanse us from the inside out. And so this morning, I want to invite you as, as we close to reflect. To reflect and think about the, those areas, may, maybe in your heart, where, where, you, where you feel like you've just kind of kept God at an arm's length. And you've said, God, like, I, I know the life you're calling me to, but like, I, I want you to think about those areas that are maybe, maybe dark, maybe a little dingy, maybe just the ways that you've been falling short recently. And I wanna invite you to open up your heart and just say to God, God, this morning, would you come in and would you cleanse me? Would you cleanse me by the power of your Holy Spirit? Would you give me forgiveness? Would you give me freedom? And offer all of yourself to him because when we do, he is able, he is willing to come in and cleanse us from the inside out. And so I want to invite the band forward. They're going to play instrumentally for, for a couple minutes and, and we're going to have just some, some moments, moments for prayer. And we're also going to have, have some prayer partners in the different corners of the room if you'd like somebody to pray with you and for you. Because there's something powerful when we confess our sins to one another. And when we say, God, like, 
I've been holding something back. And when we speak that out loud to someone else, it loses its power. That's why James tells us to do that. And so if you'd like prayer for anything in your life, maybe victory in a certain area of your life, maybe you just need someone to say God loves you and God forgives you. If you need to confess something, we'll be in the corners. We'd love to pray with you and for you. But this morning, I want to invite you to just come before God and say, God, here I am. Take all of me. Mold me. Transform me. Help me to live more like your son, Jesus Christ. I can't do it on my own. And thank you, I don't have to. And so as we begin our prayer time together, I'm gonna put up a prayer here and I'm gonna invite us to pray it. It's a, it's, a, it's a form of a prayer that's been prayed in the church since the 10th century. Christians all over the world have been, been praying a version of this prayer together. And so as we begin to pray, I wanna invite, invite us all to read this prayer out loud. Almighty God, To you, all hearts are open, all desires known, and from you, no secrets are hidden. Cleanse my heart by the inspiration of your Holy Spirit, so that I may perfectly love you and worthily magnify your holy name. Through Christ our Lord, amen. Amen. I invite you to pray.